That's not a grower background check. That's part of the customs process before you get activated. It's mostly the individuals who can access or control the inventory system. Before we get started with the show, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Global Training Center. As trade compliance professionals, you want to make sure that your procedures and documentation are completed as correctly as possible to avoid any delays and possible fines. We provide a range of trade compliance courses that will fit your needs. From in-person or web training to recorded on-demand courses, we can train one or even thousands on your team through your learning platform or on our portal. We can even customize a private session for your team. Go to globaltrainingcenter.com to find out more. Lalo, we're back for another show for today, and uh, I'm excited for uh, what we're going to be getting to talk about. But uh, I will say we're at that point in the in the year where weather's kind of weird and uh and uh, it's, it's changing seasons and different things. And there's some places that it gets hot and other places still having winter storms. So I don't know how, uh, how have you been down in uh, Texas? Well, it's also back and forth. I mean, at first we were nice and warm and all of a sudden this last week or so has been a little chilly and heading back to the warm weather. So thank goodness, you know, but we'll see. We'll see how that pans out because um, can't wait to to get back to normal weather because <laughs> it's going back and forth and changing your wardrobes. Like, okay, now I can go to warmer, warmer weather. Yeah, wardrobe sleeves or something. yeah exactly. Now it gets cold again. <laughs> yeah. I was like literally about three days ago. I was, it was like in the, you know, for here in Memphis, it was like in the thirties or something, which is frigid for us. And today it's like almost 80 degrees. So here you go. Go figure. We have some things that, uh, talking about that gets into more of your supply chain, but a niche in this. And we're going to be talking, uh, about, you know, bulk shipping to, uh, you know, piecemeal type shipping, all kinds of things that get into all kinds of fun distribution type, uh, challenges, but more specifically in this, uh, foreign trade zones. Have you ever dealt with FTZs there? We have. I mean, um, and I was, um, Remembering I, in my past life, I, I've, I've had two lives, one dealing with software in uh, international trade. And the second life, which I'm in right now, is education in international trade. But in the first part of my career, um, that's all we did is wrote, developed, supported, et cetera, software um, um, products for, for international trade. And one of them happened to be a foreign trade zone product. Uh, the, 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 we had others like on uh, for NAFTA back in the day, and of course a GSP and uh, and for the Maquila industry or IMEX. Back then it was Maquila, but anyway, um, and yeah, foreign trade zones were very interesting. We had clients that had all kinds of stuff, electronics, automotive, etc., that would bring products in um, into the foreign trade zone to take advantage of that of that um, program. You know, and so it, it was, um, well, although a lot of people used to call them free trade zones, but I know it's definitely not a free trade zone. It's a foreign trade zone. So that, that, yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, end that confusion right now. But, um, uh, let's, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking our guest will, will better, better explain that, you know, so, um, I know he's a very good friend of yours. I mean, personal good friend of yours. He is fantastic. Listen, folks, we, we got somebody that is a great, great friend. He's ugly as, uh, as, uh, you know, <laughs> Salzer kind of a thing, but he is such a great guy. <laughs> now, seriously, Jeremy Page, folks, is, uh, with Page, uh, Fura. And, uh, I, I got to tell you, it's like Jeremy is such a great guy. He's got a wonderful family. He married up with Shannon with a fantastic wife. All that to say, this is one of the folks that if you have questions, challenges, uh, problems with an FTZ from a legal perspective, setting them up, doing whatever, this is one of the folks you definitely need to look at. So he's going to have, we're going to have his contact information there, but Jeremy, welcome to our show to Simply Trade, buddy. Thank you from one ugly professional to another. <laughs> all of this guy uh jeremy one one of the questions i've got for you is we're going through uh, let, let's you know just right off the bat you know we a lot of people used to uh or have mistakenly called uh called them free trade zones versus foreign trade zone kind of thing what is it free or foreign 
um, here, most of the world, it's a free zone. Here, it's a foreign trade zone. And, uh, and uh, that's just what we've always called it. It has some different implications. Um, but uh, you're right. I mean, Lala said earlier, so many people want to just use the term free zones. Free trade zone. Sorry, I'm a little a little froggy, so I'm working through. Lost my voice. Uh, not from yelling at Andy, not yet. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, but yes, it is a foreign trade zone in the United States, or FTZ, as most people default to. Well, it's and I think there is also a difference of a there's actually what's called a free zone, which we won't go really too much into that other than that is bigger than just a foreign trade zone or an FTZ uh, building under one company or whatever. A free zone is like a whole area and we can get into that on something else. But we're going to be talking about FTZs, more specifically uh, an FTZ type operation here in the States. So. With that, um, what is an FTZ? What what is like? How how do you want to go with this, buddy? Yeah, well, um, so a foreign trade zone is physically in the United States, but it's technically outside of the customs territory. In that, in that you can bring merchandise in uh, in bond, so it's always in a bonded status, and you could avoid, defer, delay, uh, maybe never pay duties and fees on the merchandise, merchandise processing fees, on the merchandise that's stored in there unless and until you remove it. Uh, you can, you can. there are two different categories. There's distribution and manufacturing. So you can manufacture in a zone, withdraw it as a finished product. Uh, you can also re-export. Um, you can use it as a place to stage inventory for the future. You can use it as a place to bring in merchandise for relabeling or marking. Um, as a way station until issues are resolved. Um, you know, the hot topic UFLPA, you know, zones are being used in some capacity to hold goods until it's resolved and whether or not there are any issues to be concerned with. So it it it, it has a, it really has unlimited applications as long as you follow the rules. Fantastic. Well, one of the things that uh has uh been a positive, I, I Let's say, let's talk about a few scenarios where an FTZ would be applicable into a the supply chain of a company. So one of the things that's coming to mind, uh, and I'll let you elaborate here, is where a company may, let's say they have a factory, um, I don't know, let's say Italy for some, you know, it's like they're manufacturing a whole bunch of uh, shoes in, in a design or whatever. Here they all come into the U.S. They come into an FTZ. Uh, of this, let's say it's a hundred thousand units, and twenty five percent of those units are going to be sold in other countries outside the U.S., but seventy five percent for the U.S. domestic market. Would that be a good application for an FTZ? Sure, you're making me do some math, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, it, it, it's without a doubt, and uh, you know, the, the history of the foreign trade zone program was really an export platform. So, you know, it's, it was created in 1934 under the law of the, 19, the Foreign Trade Act 1934, and it was really export. And it was really intended heavily also for manufacturing to encourage, think about the time post-depression, uh, it's a way to encourage opportunities for growth and income, uh, obviously jobs, you know, economic development. So that was really the, the genesis of the program. And so distribution became more important later, but it was really manufacturing in the early years. But certainly there are many companies, you know, you look at just like you you can see bonded warehouses, which are a poor stepchild, in my mind, of a foreign trade zone. But, you know, they serve in that capacity a lot of the same functionality. The, the nice thing about a zone is you have more flexibility with some of your inventory. You know, bonded warehouses are very lot specific. The lot moves together. Foreign trade zones, you have fungibility, commercial interchangeability with inventory management. So it gives you a little more freedom for how you retain inventory, how you track it, how you decrement it, how you move it in and out. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly a zone, um, that is one of the major ways that it's used as a both domestic distribution and an export distribution platform. Fantastic. All right. So let's talk about a little bit of the uh, manufacturing side. So with what you're talking about is establishing a factory within an FTZ, you bring in your raw goods, you assemble or manufacture a product, and when it comes out, it's a finished product. Um, in that scenario, then again, is as it's coming out, 
why would you want to have a factory under a bonded facility to bring that out? Um, and I mean, why would you not just pay duties and taxes on all your raw goods and go it into a, throw it into a domestic, uh, factory and then ship it back out? I forgot how independently wealthy you are and like to give away money. So thank you for reminding me. Um, so, so, I mean, there are a couple of ways to look at it. You could have a greenfield operation where a company is establishing a new manufacturing footprint and they, they look at a foreign trade zone being integrated. But you can also take existing operations and they could be converted into a foreign trade zone. So, um, I mean, there's, there's different reasons. I mean, one, and, and there's some nuances to it. So it's not a simple answer. Um, part of it depends upon what is your distribution plan, right? Domestic only, North American, you're going to go out to the wider world. And there are different considerations that come into play for the three of those. Um, you know, also, what am I making? And I look at my my inputs. Um, one of the main benefits to a foreign trade zone, and to your point about paying duty, is that there's something called the inverted tariff. So then in a foreign trade zone, I can bring all my inputs in. There is an array of duty rates that apply, and I don't have to pay them at that time. As I come in bond, I identify what's called an emission. I identify the components I'm bringing in. I have to have a robust inventory control system, what they call the ICRS, which is a dedicated system of record. It's not your ERP system. It, it may communicate with your ERP. It may bolt onto it as a separate module, but it's really a specific platform because it has to speak customs. So it has to communicate back and forth with customs through ACE and they have integrated, um, um, there's still some functionality they could add, but it's mostly been integrated into ACE now. So if I have foreign inputs and I bring it in and I'm making a finished good, I can look at my duty rates that apply to my inputs, to my finished product, and I can sort of play the game. And the game is that when I bring out that finished product, I know what the duty rate is that's assessed to that product. And my inputs, I have two options. I can either keep them assigned the duty rate that applied to them when they came into the zone, or they can be subsumed into the value and the classification of the finished product. That latter situation is called the inverted tariff. So, you know, if I have, um, if I have some kind of a, of a, a heavy manufactured good, and let's say it has a 0% rate of duty. So my 0% rate of duty coming out the back end, all my inputs when they come in, I mean, it might also be zero, you know, because some inputs are zero, it just depends on the classification, but anything that has a rate of duty, I'm going to want to transition to the classification of the finished product. Now there are some exceptions and I can touch on them really quickly. Um, but that way, to your point, then I'm not paying those duties. Not only that, because I'm bringing out the finished product, I pay MPF on that finished product. And then there are other benefits that cascade from that. Uh, there's something called weekly entry in a zone. You can bring out a merchandise all week long based on, on a weekly estimate. And then at the end of the week, you make one entry of the total goods withdrawn during that week. So you can reduce the, the fees you pay, not just obviously MPF because you have one entry you might max out, but also other fees you might incur brokerage and supporting fees and things like that. Now that's the foreign trade zone board will tell you, and, and we tell our clients, the intent of the program is not for you to minimize your MPF. I mean, that's not why they have the program. It's to it's for economic development, job growth, you know, the, the duty savings and other incentives might exist, but that's not why, I mean, the, the foreign trade zone program, program is an extension of the Department of Commerce, which is where the foreign trade zone board resides. And they're the ones who decide if you can establish a zone. So, so you can take advantage of that inversion, but you also could go the other way. If my duty rate on my finished product is say, you know, two and a half percent, say I'm producing a, a motor vehicle, it's two and a half percent. I could have inputs above and below that two and a half percent. For the ones above, I want to assign what's called non-privileged foreign status. And they, those, the value of those and the classification gets absorbed into the vehicle. But if I have duty rates lower, if I have duty free or 0.7% or whatever it might be for component, I can retain the designation of that component under its existing classification or rate of duty. That's called privileged foreign status. And even though the, it comes out as part of the vehicle, when I make the entry, it's broken out on the entry under its own classification and its own and its own value and its rate of duty. Let me let me jump in here for a second though. As you're going through this 
I mean, we've talked about quite a few things. So I want to, for somebody that there, there's a lot of our audience that they're somewhat new to, you know, the import export compliance supply chain and all of that, as well as now also, I want to uh, say something to executives and business owners and all of that. So let me recap something of some, of what you were saying and see if you agree with, if, if I've got this right, because you know me, I'm dumb as a box of rocks here, buddy. So you're gonna have to almost draw me a picture. If I hear you correctly, utilizing an F, <coughs> excuse me, utilizing an FTZ would allow a company to basically some of the benefits would be better manage their cash flow, minimize hits to the cash flow as so that if you're bringing in a bulk of goods, you don't have to pay the duties and taxes initially. You're going to pay the transportation to get the goods into the U.S. Okay, fine. But you can minimize your duty and tax outlay initially because you don't have to pay for any of that until you utilize it and you bring it out of the zone. However, if you've got a manufacturer, you still are deferring payment of duties and taxes and or minimizing the, the amount you're paying until you actually bring the finished goods out of the zone and those finished goods that are coming out of the zone, provided that they're going into the U.S. commerce, if you bring them out of the zone and you're selling those so you to a foreign in a foreign country, so you're doing an uh, an export to that foreign country, you don't have to even pay any dues and taxes into the U.S. So if I've got that correctly, it's a way to better manage your inventory, defer your payments, minimize your uh, your outlay and better manage your cash flow. Would that be a good summary of that? Um, in, in general, yeah, I think um, so. Yes, you can one inventory turn, one inventory cycle. You can defer your duty payment forever, right? Until such time as you close your zone or you wind down or reduce your allocations or change your mix, right? So, so you get that one-time benefit as you establish your zone because that first cycle's going to not have duty payment you know, because you're, you're just going to cycle it through constantly. Um, and yes, you can also avoid duty payment on re-export, except to Canada or Mexico, um, where there are some limitations because of USMCA and previously under NAFTA, the duty deferral provisions. So so there are, there are situations where um, most particularly stuff subject to trade remedies, like anti-dumping or Section 301 China, 232, um, where some of the benefits to be realized from manufacturing uh, items subject to those different re restrictions are um, precluded unless it's going other than Canada or Mexico. Go, going to Canada or Mexico, you have to use this duty deferral mechanism. It's, it's a complicated wrinkle, but it basically forces you to pay duty on those components subject to 301, 232, or an ADD, CBD, um, because you have to designate those components privileged foreign, right? So when it comes out of the zone, if it comes to the domestic consumption, or even if it goes to Canada or Mexico, you have to treat it as if it was withdrawn for domestic consumption. So that's a constraint. And, and that's, a, that's a big issue because when a lot of people think about a zone, they think about their North American opportunities first, right? That may be their biggest export markets, right? So they may be just, they may be just looking at other markets. So, um, so it's important to bear in mind that when you, you know, and one of the things you do with a zone is you do a feasibility study or analysis, sort of an upfront back of the envelope calculation that includes things like my one-time duty deferral and saving on my cost of money, right? That I'm not paying that out and things like what percentage of my goods are exported. And there you have to divide it between export to the rest of the world. Although even the U.S.-Chile agreement has the same deferral, none of the other agreements do, um, or to Canada or Mexico. And we've seen some companies get caught up in that because um, maybe they went in with the wrong assumption. They thought going anywhere was going to save them the money. And like I said, a lot of times the Canada-Mexico equation is a big proportion of their exports. So it's really critical to understand that it's, I mean, there are a lot of opportunities, but because of the specifics of certain laws or that or the treaty in that case, there are limitations on, from a manufacturing perspective, the benefits you can realize. 
Fantastic. Well, all right. So with all the things here, I, I, I wanted to do a recap, but I will say that definitely if somebody has heard about FTZs or is, you know, even considering it or, or say, could, could we incorporate it? You definitely need to get some experts in here because there's a lot of complexities. It is a niche. It is something that has some big time paybacks, uh, on, on ROIs, if you will. On the same token, you can make some assumptions and incorrectly. And, and if you don't do it, set it up right, then you can have problems. But generally, I think I've heard the vast majority of things that it is a very positive for a lot of people on FTZs. If you're sourcing uh, a great deal of uh, goods uh, from uh, outside the U.S. And, and if you're selling to other parts uh, outside the U.S. But that said, who has oversight of an FTZ? I mean, what? Obviously, the government's not going to just say, "Yeah, go ahead and do it." No, I mean, you mentioned customs. Is is customs the only thing you have to worry about here? No, it, it's a it's a two act play. I mean, you know, the Department of Commerce, Foreign Trade is on board. That's who you get approval from. So, you know, there's a lot of different players involved in foreign trade zones. So, you know, the this the law says that every port of entry is entitled to have a foreign trade zone. There are some exceptions where we have like shared ports like Tampa, St. Pete, or Seattle, Tacoma. They have their own, but that's because you have a waterway and there's certain exceptions. But, you know, generally speaking, you could have more than 300 foreign trade zones. There aren't that many, but there are 200, north of 200. Um, and there's variability with how they're used. Some ports are much more active than others, but they have a lot more commercial activity than others. So, so you can understand why. Um, and the approval actually comes from the Foreign Trade Zone Board as what's first called a general purpose zone, which is either a public or a quasi-public entity. It could be an economic development arm. It could be the city. It could be an airport authority, you know, and they will first get the grant for the that general purpose zone, the zone itself, the overall designation from the Foreign Trade Zone Board. From there, individual companies have some options. They could, they could either um, integrate into the general purpose zone because they may have services they can provide. So maybe they just need warehousing, um, other distribution support, and it's not worth it for them to invest in their own uh, comprehensive program. So they can take advantage of the GP and the um, services they can provide. Um, they can develop their own site. Uh, there's two ways you could have a subzone or you could have what's called a usage driven site. And those are dedicated to individual users. And, and all of that also has to go through the foreign trades on board. So the grantee supports your request, right? They have, you approach the grantee, the grantee will support your request. You know, they have the ability to designate land um, within their jurisdictional framework. And, and then you go to the foreign trades on board and then they will review. There's an application, there's a form you use. It used to be incredibly cumbersome. You used to submit applications that were inches and inches thick because you had to have all this you know, it was truly all this economic development explanation, all these maps, all these approvals and things from congressional delegations, all kinds of stuff. And they really streamlined it. Now it's been a number of years. Like, kudos to the foreign trades on board. They really simplified that process. And um, and it's all online applications. It's very transparent. The board is very open to communicate and talking to people. They have no gotcha mentality. It's They're there for economic development. And so you can submit your application. And, and if you're just doing distribution, it's it's a much simpler process because um, because with the foreign trades on board, they're less concerned in terms of um, the items being controlled from a transformative perspective. So that process can take like 30 days, a much more expeditious process, but this is still act one. If it's manufacturing, then it could take up 120 days to get all the necessary approvals. And it's much more complicated because you have to provide an explanation of what you're manufacturing, explode your bill of materials, to show all the inputs that are going to go in that are foreign inputs. Um, customs, as I'll talk about more in a second, is a partner at this point as well, because you need them to give a letter of concurrence. Um, so there are a lot of little pieces that go into place. And then once you're granted, you get a designation. You either you get a site designation within the zone itself. And then that lets you complete phase one. Then we transition to act two or phase two, which is where customs comes into play. So the day-in, day-out management and oversight of the zone is customs. Um, within the port, uh, there are inspectors. Uh, inspectors are generally the interface that you have. So, you know, inspectors have a lot of other responsibilities. That becomes part of it. 
And so they'll come out and you have to, um, once you get the designation, you have to have customs do what they call a preview for activation. So activation is really proving and showing to customs that you have the tools in place to comply with the customs regulations. And those are, those are more particular because this is where the revenue comes into play, right? You're, you're bringing merchandise into the United right. States. Revenue for the government, you're talking for the in government. this case. Right? Like, yes, like, yes, so, yes. Yeah, so so let's back up for a second. Let me recap. So the first phase is you're basically doing all the bureaucracy, reaching out to the (laughs) folks. It's yeah, there you go to to the uh, the 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 key folks that would be involved to go through a process. So it's it's you know there's a lot of different groups locally at the federal level, regional level, all that. I get that. All right, so you go through all the the things. Crossing the T's, dotting the I's, putting forward the di- different justification to say, why do you need a, a, an FTZ in this area? There's certain requirements, all that. Okay, get all that done. I would assume in that. Hi, everyone. Are you loving our podcast? Do you feel like watching instead of just listening to our episodes? We have started to share our podcast videos on our trade community, www.crowd.trade, where you can view the complete show, comment, and carry conversations with your peers. We have built a trade community around our training courses and different resources for you to collaborate and gain the knowledge you are looking for. Head over to crowd.trade and register for your free account. Let's start trading. Effort. Um, is that in the phase one, you're also talking about whatever bonds that you may need to be posting? Is that in yeah. that phase one or is that in two? It, it's phase two because you're not in phase one. You're not yet controlling any merchandise. Okay. So, so yeah, the bond will become right. phase two. All right, so phase one, you do the paperwork, you get the approvals, you get the handshakes, everything's cool. Now you're in phase two where you've got the actual facility and you start pulling together. When you're talking about the tools, one of the things, the tools, even Lala was talking about, you know, the the systems that are involved and different things of that nature. And you made mention of it. There's some specific inventory management controls that you need to do for an FTZ. You can talk to other systems and inventory and all that, but there are things that are specific to an FTZ that just need to be taken into account, right? Right, right. And it's uh, called the Inventory Control and Record Keeping System or ICRS. And and it is, it, I mean, what the regulations really say is, I mean, they don't mandate what the system has to look like. They don't mandate that it's automated. They even say it can be automated and or manual. It's just, there has to be some oversight. Now today, because of, of the requirement to interface with ACE, you can't have a manual system. I mean, you can't, this isn't like an Excel spreadsheet. You know, you have to have a way to communicate electronically, submit these in the admissions, the daily admission, which is called the Form 214, um, and upload that information so that it can get logged in. And it gets uploaded into the ICRS because that's the communication tool. So the ICRS um, becomes your inventory layering tool and it's going to track the movement of everything. The, the, the thing about the ICRS that differentiates it from like an SAP ERP is, like I said, it speaks customs. So you know the tariff classifications. You know um, the status, non-privileged foreign, privileged foreign, or domestic. Because domestic merchandise, while less concerned, stuff that's already duty paid, you still ostensibly track in the zone. Particularly if you have like, say, dual source goods. Some from the U.S., some from overseas. You have to build in inventory layers, and there are rules around inventory layers so as well. Just hold on, hold on, just for that. So for our audience, what that means is you can have – now, remember, Jeremy mentioned an FTZ is a bonded facility. That means that you have to maintain the sterility of your inventory. It can't be just open access. You've got to be secure fenced off and, and all that, and only restricted parties, I mean, restricted employees, not restricted parties, sorry about that. Um, that means something in customs world, by the way. Um, yeah, it, it means that only designated employees that ha- have approval to go into these warehouses and whatnot can do that. You can't just have it open access. Now, that said, with what you just mentioned, you can have foreign-based goods come into the zone whether it's privileged or non-privileged, but then you can also have domestic freight. So that our, our um, 
inventory. That means that you sourced it from the U.S. or you bought the or you brought in the goods and went ahead and tendered an entry to clear it into the U.S. commerce. Now it becomes domestic freight, but it can also be in that zone. But here's the key: you've got to have an inventory system to delineate and track all of that. This is you know this is this status. It's domestic or it's foreign or whatever, right? All right, so that helps in, in your inventory. You don't have to have separate warehouses for everything. You put it all in one, but you got to track it. Right. And and, and unlike a bounded warehouse, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like a dedicated lot location. You can use your, your warehousing structure however you want. You know, if you have a WMS that has, you know, row, column, you know, bay, all that stuff, you could do that. You can put merchandise in one shipment goes here, one shipment goes there. It doesn't have to all be put together. Um, it's just the system has to be robust enough to track it all. And, you know, distribution is obviously easier because, you know, the items coming in, going out. Um, and it could be, and you deem the first items in or the first items out. So the zones either let you use FIFO or FOFI, foreign first. Most people don't find foreign first beneficial. It may be useful when I'm transitioning to domestic source of supply. So I want to get the dutiable goods out, right? So maybe that's where you use FOFI, very specific circumstances, or because of some cost element to relieve inventory. Um, so distribution is pretty manageable. You know, manufacturing is more complicated because I've got my exploded bill of material. And, you know, that's where you're going to see like a bill of material that'll combine privileged foreign, non-privileged foreign, domestic, right? So all of that still gets relief from the inventory. But the part that customs cares about is obviously the privilege and non-privilege because that's where you haven't paid duty. So while they want you to still have some oversight to domestic, the real obligation to track inventory, to report inventory, to pay your duties, obviously, is on or if you're going to export it and be able to export it without any USMCA consequences, is on that foreign source merchandise. Sounds great. Uh, the only way to do that is with a good uh, system software and and a good, uh, you know, group of people that will adhere to what they need to do to make sure that system works properly. Yeah. And that's, and I will tell you, that's a lot of people don't understand that, you know, they go in, they do some, you know, again, this back of the envelope calculation and they forget the cost side, you know, and the cost side is, has some variability, you know, that first year, particularly if it's manufacturing, it's an investment because, you know, you know, you've got to invest in that software and, you know, software, Programs are, um, it's very difficult to do at homegrown. Um, I know one client had a guy who developed an internal program and uh, the, he used to laugh. He slept under this com his computer bay. You know, it was his holy grail to get this done. And he created this beautiful system. But for the most part, there are third-party providers people turn to. And, you know, they, they charge variable depending upon complexity, number of different goods, number of transactions. I mean, it's all pretty much the same that way. But, but you haven't a one-time big upfront expense for that software. And then you obviously have on you ongoing maintenance, annual maintenance fees. You may have, you're going to have charges from the grantee because for them to support you, um, again, their economic development arm. So this is one way that they generate revenue for economic development is by supporting the notion of a zone, but they get fees, annual fees, fees for the application. It just depends on the zone and that's all public. They have what's up called a public tariff. Um, and then there's other things, Andy, you mentioned like the bond. So, you know, before you can go live, just like you have a basic import entry bond, there's a dedicated type four bond for foreign trade zones that um, states you'll comply with your zone obligations. So these are the obligations within the four walls, right? To how I will mostly track my inventory, report discrepancies, um, you know, report out on uh, deal with in admissions and everything happening within the floor and other reporting requirements. So that's your operator bond. So that's critical to have in place. And then you have to move everything in bond, right? So another hidden cost for a lot of people, particularly in the last couple of years when there's been a lot of shortage of available, of maybe available trucks, um, is you've got to move everything in bond. So that's a, an increased cost per, per movement. Uh, and it's critical that you do that. There are certain rules around arrival in terms of when you have to admit merchandise from the time of arrival. Um, so you can do some staging, but you've got to be careful that you don't let inventory languish and not be admitted into the zone on a timely basis. So, you know, there are, there are puzzle pieces around that. Um, 
And then you also mentioned the employees and restrictions. Um, there's a core group of employees that have to undergo a background check. That's part of the customs process before you get activated. It's mostly the individuals who can access or control the inventory system, not, not the receiving guys, nobody like that. It's really who can get into the system tools and maybe make changes. Those are the ones that the government cares the most. But it used to be, I mean, it used to be in the old days, they, go, they wanted to go up to the higher level reports, the directors and stuff. And they've gotten away from that, realizing that there was no, it was kind of, it was futility. There was no point. They weren't involved in the zone. Um, so there are, there are a lot of costs you have to consider. And it's really important to bear that in mind, that your, 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 your payload, what you're going to realize may be a year off on a horizon. Because you've got to get through the foreign trades on board and you got to get through the customs process. Now you can overlayer those somewhat. You know, you can start working the customs dialogue, particularly because you need to let them concur in the FTZB application. But there's only so much you can do. Like, so, you know, one of the things we'll do is we'll ask customs to come out to our site visit early. You know, obviously if it's a greenfield, it's a little harder. Um, sometimes you use drawings or blueprints, or as they're building the facility, you get that general manager out there. And they can see right then and there, do we want lights in certain places? Do we want cameras in certain places? You know, how do we access, like in CTPAT, do we need a cage for drivers or limit their ability to travel the floor? Where's the break room? Where are the bathrooms? You know, and so you you start to do that with customs. And if you develop that report early, when they come back for the final blessing, hopefully you've got everything all bundled up and they're 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 happy, right? Everything looks good. So So you can shorten that time period. But still, like distribution, um, again, you need that approval as well. You still need to worry about customs. Again, access, ingress, egress. You know, where do you park? Where do the trucks park? You know, are they different parking lots? How do you control seal removal? All kinds of dynamics, which, you know, one of the reasons why foreign trade zones is kind of a sort of a best practice for CTPAT is because so much of the security protocol layers beautifully with like the CTPAT program. And so, you know, a lot of times if you're in CTPAT and you've done stuff for your domestic locations, it's a lot easier to migrate to a foreign trade zone because maybe you only have to tweak what you do instead of making a more substantial capital investment to bring your facility in line. Well, with what you're saying, the one thing I will say is that, again, we've gone through a lot of complexities, a lot of detail, a lot of, well, you could be what if, if you don't do it right or whatever. I don't want somebody to get scared of this and go, that is just too laborious or it's too, uh, you know, onerous or whatever. Folks, most of you would benefit if you're sourcing from uh, foreign sources as far as your goods, your raw goods, or whatever you're doing there, it would be well worth your time and effort to talk to some key experts and they will be asking you questions such as, what is it you're striving to do? What is your company doing? What are you trying to accomplish as far as your thoughts of just a, an FTZ, let alone what is your current supply chain? What are you doing with all these things? And it, it'd be one of those that you step back and it's a strategic decision. But it's one of these areas where you could significantly improve your cycle times and your, as I mentioned earlier, as we were talking, your cash flows and things of that nature, you can potentially increase your margins on your goods as far as overall profits. Bottom line, that's one of the things that, you know, we're not in this for a charity. We're in this for you got to make a buck and make it, you know, the more bucks you make, the more jobs you create, the more you know, situations there. Great. All that to say is uh, what everything in is. Jeremy was is going to forget more than I'm going to learn when it comes to these FTZs. With that, I will say it's worth investing in a conversation with somebody like Jeremy. And there's other consultants out there as well that specialize in this and the systems out there and, and all of that. So I don't want to scare somebody away from an FTZ perspective. But um, overall, what do you think as far as FTZs should they, you know, what would be the normal approach? What should they do to get prepared and say, hey, Jeremy, I'm interested in this. But before they call you, what what uh, what would you like for them to do? Yeah. And and your point's a good one. I mean, there, you know, there's a cost to everything, but there's huge benefits to zones. And I think I think you kind of have to have like almost like a five-year plan. You need to forecast yourself forward. 
and think about, you know, where we are today, where, where do we think we're going to take the company, right? Do we, if we're, maybe we're not heavy in exports today, but we see opportunity in export markets and we want to take advantage of that. I mean, hand in glove, many opportunities, foreign trade zones, or you're going to reshore, you know, and you're going to reshore or for some purpose, even nearshoring at a component level. If you're doing finished products, you know, it might reduce your transport costs to bring across to Mexico or from, you know, further into Central America, wherever you might be looking at, or the Caribbean, whatever you're looking at. So I, I think it, it really fits in well with some of the, the shifts we're seeing in terms of where we're sourcing from as a possibility, because that's also driving, you know, I'm, if I'm no longer going to be, and obviously the, you know, the, the big boogeyman of the room is China, you know, and I've been using China as a platform to sell into other countries in Asia, right? But I'm looking that, is that realistic for me? And maybe I have a some footprint in the U.S. And rather than invest all new in some other country like a Vietnam or Malaysia or whatever, I'm like, you know, I can beef up in the States. And the U.S. has certainly given you companies incentives, right? Like the Chips Acts and other things we're seeing to try to encourage more investment in the U.S. Well, you know, that's something to really think about in integrating a zone because then you can bring here, use your existing footprint, take advantage of grants and other money that's out there, and then use that as your export footprint to go back out. You know, and I know it. people say, well, now I'm shipping it that way. But you're down to a one bigger plant that you can control everything and have better oversight and control your own tools, your own equipment. You know, you have the brain trust and know-how. You know, we're seeing controls on know-how and export, you know, limitations on your ability to share. So there's other dynamics that I think support the idea of integrating a larger manufacturing footprint in the U.S. And um, and I think that's that's to us that's the thing you've got to look at what where do you intend to go in next years? And you know, we'll we have we've had discussions all the time with people where we talk about um, you know and you know like the finance people and they'll and they'll bring in their purchasing and their sales. Right? Because you really need that whole, you know, the whole flow, right? Well, you're going to need the entire, uh, all the, your, your IT, your, your marketing at some point, your cycle times, your, your transportation logistics and, and your compliance. compliance and knowing yep. bills of material, how they explode. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to go to the deep, deep, deep dive, you know, at that initial thing, because I mean, now you're getting into really a micro level, but at more conceptually, you know, what markets do you see being in, in five years? In what proportion of your split, you know, the types of commodities, you know, and, and then um, use it as sort of a starting point. What's your import volumes uh, of inventory, right? That you, what's your turn? What duties did you pay last year? What are you paying this year? Are you filing any duty drawbacks right now? You, you, you know, that's another key factor in that. That's exactly right, because you may be recovering a lot of duty today through drawback, um, you know, and there's a question of, is there time value of money? Do I want to stay with drawback or look at this as an option? You know, because it is a very different program. Um, so all that has to go into that equation, but I think that's a big part of it. I mean, the homework going in is is to identify who your customers are today, identify who your customers will be tomorrow, identify your suppliers today and tomorrow, and, and look for the last maybe three years on what have been your costs you've incurred, you know, across the board that you could tie back to imports. And what can we do to maybe reduce that exposure what can you do more important than me, um, you know, to reduce that exposure and that cost? And I think that's the, the point going in is what's, you know, and you want to be, you know, realistic about it. We always can go for the high end, the low end, you know, hit that middle cut, and then we we'll see how the math works out, you know. Um, like I said, it may be two years before you get a payback, 100% payback. But then it's mostly gravy because your cost is more heavily front end than after that. And then it's more maintenance cost. And that's where we've seen clients and that's been the reality a lot with manufacturers for sure. Distribution is a different ballgame. So, you know, you still have a cost, but it's not as extreme because you don't have the bills of material to evaluate things like that. So that recovery can happen much more quickly. Um, but but those are the things that I would say you'd want to have going in is to for that data gathering, that forecasting, um, you know, where we're going to go next in the world. That's critical to that evaluation is I think it's it's uh, important to, to you know look at it having a, that five year plan and or going back three years in your cost and and when it, all that's good and again it may be well worth it to even have uh, reach out to some consultants or some key experts 
to help your team walk through the process to ask the questions you may not be thinking about. If you're, you know, the old adage, you're uh, so close to the, uh, the trees, you can't see the forest or you can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Cause you're too close to them. Uh, the point being is FTZs are definitely well worth it, especially if you have any kind of international transactions and there may be options in there. And there are people that are in this industry that will tell you, no, FTZ is not your answer, but yeah, probably 90% of the time of, of situations I've seen an FTZ is definitely well worth uh, looking into and, and possibly employing. I like to always throw out the resources and the education and, you know, where are you going to learn about this and stuff like that. And um, lately we've been talking a lot about um, some different associations that, that are out there that help out individuals like ICPA, AEI, et cetera. But um, the one that is very relevant for, for this industry is the NAFTZ, which I, I know, Jeremy, you and your wife are very involved in. Um, I don't know if you want to give out a shout out or something on that uh, organization, um, you know, why why they should join and, and the benefits. And then uh, we'll go into last or final thoughts on, on this topic. But I really feel that there's a lot more that we can dig into this. So so we're definitely going to have you and or Shannon back on the show so we can dig in deeper, like a 201, uh, FTZ 201 type show. But um, I, I'm wondering if we can wrap up with that. Sure. So, yeah, the NFTZ, the... National Association of Foreign Trade Zones. It's been around for, I think, more than 50 years at this point. Um, it's a ded dedicated association to foreign trade zones. Very, very active, um, very much involved with government engagement. Matter of fact, this past week, they had their annual legislative conference in D.C., and they had customs, commerce, USTR. You know, they had um, they have other government agencies that show up as well. They have, you know, people from the Hill will come in from the congressional offices, and then they do a day of lobbying when they go on to the Hill to, to meet with different Congress men and women to discuss issues either pertinent to an individual zone site or location or some of the larger issues we're grappling with right now, like the de minimis issue. Um, and they do a lot of education. Um, besides the legislative conferences in May this year, they'll be in Tucson, Arizona, like the third week in May. And then in September, I think it's September, or maybe it's October this year, the annual conference is down in Miami Beach. And so then they also... For people who don't know, there's a fundamentals conference that's normally held in January that is like a two-day boot camp so people can get really acclimated if they're new to the zone program. But it's a great organization. Um, their membership is very active. It's not a lot of shy people, uh, but it's great. You know, they'll ask questions. They do a lot of webinars as well. Um, if you're interested, it's uh, naftz.org, I think it's the website. Um, but yeah, Shannon is on the board. My partner's on the board as well as um, the executive council. So she's the vice chairman this year to the association. Um, and, you know, I'll be speaking at the program in May. And uh, yeah, it's really well represented by different industries, um, as well as like government officials and, and uh, of course, attorneys and consultants. Um, but I, yeah, I highly recommend it. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's a great place to learn. Well, Jerry, thank you so much. I mean, my goodness, it's always good to catch up with you, but I'm going to yes, tell you, is. this is phenomenal. And you are just, just once again, you knock it out of the park. You, you, <laughs> you know your stuff and appreciate you so much. So you're still ugly, but you're, you're just yeah, a good hey, guy. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe one thorn fell off the rose. <laughs> <laughs> no, I well, really appreciate um, you guys having me. It's been really fun. Um, so I look forward to 201 or Maybe we'll have yeah. Shannon, one of us will come back and do that as well. There you, there you go. It's like, it'll be great. Lalo, um, with the Global Training Center, do you have some courses uh, in, involved that uh, would kind of touch on some of the things you would need as far as uh, FTZs? No, actually, I'm glad that we are talking about FTZs on this episode because um, we actually don't have anything that has been on our roster, but we will be adding um, here pretty soon something that, that we want to offer. And uh, we may kick it off with something like a free webinar just to get people kind of informed as to what is an FTZ um, and then go into a formal program that, that like we are traditional courses. But yes, uh, um, at this point, if you go and look um, in, in our roster, you're not going to find anything other than um, that we're developing something. So, mm -hmm. All right. Well, 
Jeremy, again, thank you. Lalo, you have a uh, wonderful day. And for those uh, that are listening, again, thank you so much. Please, please, please do a couple things. One, like what you, uh, the, our show. When you download it, please, uh, you know, like it and share it. And uh, and then tell your friends about us because uh, we can definitely new, uh, use uh, more support. But we are trending up, and it's all because of uh, y'all's listening. So we appreciate you. Right. That, I, uh, I have something funny. Uh, I heard another uh, podcast, and I'm going to steal this from them. I want to have a, uh, I guess back in the day they used to call it a gentleman's agreement. I don't want to be, um, you know, exclude any any mm -hmm. females or anybody else on this, but. Um, they called it a gentleman's agreement. We're providing you free content. So um, do us a favor of liking us, sharing us, and following us. And uh, um, just so that uh, we can continue this free content. And uh, we believe it's really good. I mean, Jeremy just gave us a really good um, talk here on foreign trade zones. And, and you know, something that you normally get at a conference that you're going out there and, and uh, paying for, you know. And so... Um, that's just a small example because I believe everything that we've provided here is co uh, conference um, fee level, you know. So anyway, <laughs> I just want to see if we can um, have anybody honor that that gentleman's agreement and <laughs> and uh, and uh, at least follow us and like us and uh, and, yeah. and see where we're, we need uh, to grow our audience. That way. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, but Jeremy, we'll we'll add your content. I'm sorry, content your contact information your firm's uh, link and everything on the show notes, what we call our show notes. So we'll go ahead and do that. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, we'll, we'll make sure that, that, that there's somewhere, somehow uh, a way to get in touch with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.